Today is not quite panic, but a little bit of a panic edition of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by our friends at ZipRecruiter. Their powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. The tech doesn't stop there. It even learns what kind of candidates you like. Invites more to apply. It's so effective. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. Football season coming up. College football. Games everywhere. Pro football. Games everywhere. MLB. September. Pennant race. Any sporting event for NBA. NHL coming up. Whatever. You know what to do. Use promo code BS. You get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com. We're on, we have college football, a lot of preview stuff this week. NFL, a lot of preview stuff this week, next week. We have a Brian Curtis piece about the man who wrote the book that terrifies the NFL. We have a Haley O'Shaughnessy piece wondering if we're sure the NBA hasn't passed Pat Riley by. We have some U.S. Open coverage. It's This is the last kind of semi-dead content week, and then it gets really great for like nine straight months. So we're excited. Ringer Podcast Network, Ryan Rosillo's new podcast, Dual Threat. You heard him talking about it on Friday on this podcast. We were taping it tomorrow. It drops tomorrow night. College football, pro football. The reaction for this was, uh, was, was just glee and excitement. People are just fired up across the board. We are fired up as well. Excited to get this podcast going. Excited to get Ryan in here every week. Excited to see what muscle shirts he's wearing, how he's looking, how his quads, how his quads are feeling. Ryan starts dual threat. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, on Spotify, I have been putting up playlists of different music. It's one of my weird talents, Spotify playlists. I don't know why. But I am obsessed with the fact that the Sirius channel has not launched. They have they have like new wave for 80s. They have they have uh the lithium channel for all the alternative slash slash grunge. They have a classic rock, they have yacht rock. For some reason, there's this whole era in music that has not been represented properly. And it is that era that really started when the strokes and the white stripes started to take off in 01. This whole indie alternative revolution, kind of revolution that happened that I always called post-lithium because it was kind of the uh, the children of the uh, the alternative grunge era, all that stuff. So um, I made a playlist to capture the 40, I think 42 best songs on Spotify. Um, I just did this for fun. But if you want to check that out, the username is SPTGUY33. I have a couple ones up there. I have the greatest Yacht Rock playlist that anyone has ever put on whatever. Uh, that one's on there, Post Lithium, a couple more. So check that out if you like music. It's my present to you. It's for free. There it is. It's right on there. Coming up, we're going to talk to Jacko, Mark Titus, maybe a couple more people. First, our friends from Pearl Jam.
All right, we're going to hear from Jack Owen a little bit. Right now on the line, the commissioner of the Little League World Series, a very frustrated Ohio State fan, our pal from The Ringer, and one shining podcast on The Ringer Podcast Network. Mark Titus, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Bill. It's it's uh, Although I, sh- I should say, I, I mean, it's, it's a tough time to live in Columbus, Ohio, but otherwise... That that small little issue aside, I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> well, let's we'll we'll go negative in a second. We'll we'll go through all, all right. the Urban Meyer stuff. Let's go pot. Let's start positive. The Little League World Series ended last night or yesterday, and uh, and you yeah. wrote about it for TheRinger.com. You love it. You enjoy it. I enjoy it as well. I even have a little bit of a different perspective on it as somebody who has a is a parent of kids that play youth sports, and I put myself in that situation, but. Uh, first of all, what were the highlights for you this time around? Uh, the highlight was just the the entire Hawaiian team was just so fun to watch. And and I'm I'm gonna start venturing into territory where people are like they can't believe how serious I am about this. But I I should reiterate that I'm 100 percent serious. I got I got very into the Little League World Series this year. Um, and just the 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 entire Hawaiian team was like incredible with just not how good they were, but how they handled everything like off the field. And meanwhile. There's a hurricane barreling towards their hometown as they're playing in the Little League World Series. And just like the coaching staff, all the players, like everything about it was awesome. And it's so corny and so cheesy and all that other stuff to say. But like it, that it was they represented like everything. Why I, I like the Little League World Series so much was that like they won the thing and then they immediately like the coach never the coach never like got excited that his team won. He was just like always praising the other teams and always saying thank you to the volunteers for putting on the event and all that kind of stuff. And it's super cheesy and it's easy to get cynical, um, especially in the world of sports that we live in. But uh, I don't know that that stuff totally works on me. Every time I watch that, it just like tugs at my heart and it totally works. So I don't know if that makes me soft or what, but listen, one of, one of the secrets about Mark Titus, sentimental guy. There you go. <laughs> Nephew Kyle talks about that all the time. He says, sometimes you just, He'll be oh, with shit. you and you'll just start crying and you'll just be like, I just <laughs> so glad you're in my life, nephew Kyle. I just want, want you to know I appreciate you. And you just oh, have yeah, these after, moments. After like our fourth, after our fourth round at the dark room, that's usually when <laughs> Kyle and I get a little emotional. <laughs> what would you change about the Little League World Series? How do we make it better? It's already so, good, but what, so what, what it, tweaks would you have? Well, they already tweet. They already made a bad change, which is they made the bats less powerful. So it used to be like, Every kid that had hit puberty already, which is, every, you know, every team has like two or three of those kids. And yeah. That's how they got there in the first place. Uh, these kids used to like, like they would hit homers off of the handle. They would just like not put a good swing on the ball at all. And it hit off the handle and they get jammed. It'd be the equivalent of like a broken bat in major leagues. Yeah. And they would still like bomb it out of the park because they were just so big and strong. Uh, so they changed the rule. They changed like the bat, the, the composition of the bats to make like basically take away home runs and that was that was a disaster this year like I, w- I was wanting to see like the big kids they get a hold of it just completely blasted over the entire hill and make all the little kids running for the balls um so that that was that was one thing otherwise it's pretty perfect I, I really think like it is kind of like a perfect just the way it exists in its own little thing where like every kid has to play I love that rule because you get these situations where, like like no coach wants to play his crappy players first and get it out of the way yeah they always like wait to the end so you always are bringing in like the kid who sucks as a pinch hitter in like the the top of the sixth inning with one out or something, and it's like the the highest leverage situation, and that's hysterical to me. And then you, you just kind of see how that all shakes out. Um, yeah, it would seem like it would make more. Hilarious. It would seem like it would make more sense to bring those kids in at the beginning. That's what I would think too. Yeah, but like they don't do that, and that's what's like. 
it's it's fun. I, I don't know. It's almost like I think their plan is like we're gonna get up by ten runs and then I'll just throw in our B team and we'll be fine. But it never really works that way. Um, One and then thing- the pitch counts are awesome too. Like all these kids have an eighty-five pitch limit, right? So. You'll, you'll get a guy who's like dealing and he's unhittable, but then he has to come out and there's yeah. no way to, and then the wheels just fall off at that point for a team. And that's, that's entertaining as hell too. Here, here would be my big change. I think, I think they need the, the park itself needs to have more uh, flexibility, like with the wall, like it, it should be, it mm. shouldn't just be like this generic outfield fence. I think they should pick either the left field or the right field. Left field would probably be better and make it their version of Fenway. So bring the bats okay. bring the bats back. Let the kids hit the bombs. But left field the wall is like like 30 feet. And you'd have you'd have these little 12-year-old kids playing line drives off the wall and homers that could have been homers but they weren't. You could have seats on top of the wall. It it just the, the park itself I think could be a little bit cooler. What do you think of that? Yeah. I would agree You're with in. that. I think I think th- I think they're going for understated on purpose. I think it's like perfect dimensional, like just you know, like the whole thing is uniform in the outfield. I think that's kind of what they're going for is to, and and I guess it, it speaks to the larger point that like Little League has arrived at a point where I think we're in like a danger zone with the Little League World Series where um, guys like me are like really genuinely getting into this, but that's kind of a problem because we want it to exist sort of on its own and almost like you don't want the kids to know how big of how much I care, but that, that you don't want the kids to know that some 31 year old guy in Columbus, Ohio is watching this and cheering for them and, and thinks he's a celebrity. thinks all these kids are celebrities and all that kind of stuff. You want to just be like self-contained and, and you want the free admission to get into these things. But at the same time, ESPN signing like multi-year million, you know, $60 million TV deals to put this thing on and they're sending their MLB crew to cover it. And it's like, is that a good thing? Do we want this? You want more people to watch it, but you also don't want people to care too much because that kind of soils the whole point of what makes it great. Well, so, I don't I, know. I have a news flash for you. There's internet gambling on the Little World Series, Little League World Series, though. Are Did you, you serious? Know that? Yeah, you can gamble on it. <laughs> That's so bad. So That's not you, a good thing. That yeah. can't be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. If you, so if you think it's weird that you're watching it, a 31 year old guy in Columbus, uh, I think it'd be even weirder if you were gambling on Hawaii. And you were living oh and dying God. with the pitches. I just, I, I totally would have gambled on Hawaii too. Like I, I, not to brag, but like going into the tournament after watching like the the regional games, like the qualifiers and all that stuff. Like I knew Hawaii was very very good, and that kind of scares me how terrifying I am at at projecting this stuff. My thing with watching this, just from the perspective of having gone to um, all these tournaments over the last few years and watching my kids and watching the behavior of parents, I actually have two points. One is that. I would think being a parent of one of these players would be the single most terrifying thing that could happen mm-hmm. as a sports fan. Cause it's already, it's already like watching my son, my son was, he played baseball last year and all, all of a sudden was good at baseball and he was pitching and watching him pitch just in any game was harrowing. Like it was like, it's like just, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. You're nervous when there's guys on base, you're nervous. He's going to melt down. It's just this harrowing experience. Now, if you're going to magnify that where he's, it's two years later and he's on ESPN and people yeah. like you are watching in Columbus and the bases are loaded and he hits a kid and gives up a grand slam or something. And I'm worried you're just, you're thinking about it as from a protective point as a parent. Um, I just think that would be incredibly nerve wracking. So that's one thing. The second thing is I've seen so much bad behavior 
with parents on site. Like my daughter had a soccer tournament uh, eight days ago and the mom of one of the players in the other team got kicked out and she was screaming at this poor 25-year-old ref who was doing the game like, we'll see you later, point in the parking lot. We'll see you later. <laughs> and the kids are just on the field. These 13-year-old girls are just on the field. Like, what's going on? Yeah. And the girl on the other team was standing next to us. And we're like, what's going on with that lady? And she was like, oh, that's so-and-so's mom. She's crazy. She does this all the time. So my question is, why don't we see that more at the Little League World Series? Where is the crazy parent behavior? Do they just taser them? So, what happens? I think it's it's it kind of weeds itself out. I think like those parents are not good parents, and they therefore do not raise good athlete sons. Oh, they ruin the they ruin the to, kids. Yeah, like they ruin the the pursuit of the Little League World Series. Like gets tainted on the way on the road to the World Series. Right, that's my theory. Because because that's the other thing is like like again to go back to the Hawaii team because they they won the thing, so it makes sense to talk about them. Like their coach was everything you would ever want out of a Little League baseball coach. Like every they 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 mic him up and they they have every pregame talk. He's never once talked about winning or losing or anything like that. He's just telling the kids like have fun, try your best. That's what's important. I love you guys no matter what happens. Like all that sort of stuff. Um, and by the way, like this, this guy had no, he has no kids of his own, let alone on the team. He just has no kids. He's just like passionate about helping the kids and, and serving the community, all that stuff. So I think it's like that sort of thing. Like if you have those parents, they are by nature, not good parents and it's going to ruin their kids pursuit of it. And then to your other point, I think like in a weird way, the screw ups and, and when the kids get rocked, like this happened in the, when Hawaii was playing New York and in, in a, maybe a final four game, I think it was at that point. Um, the, the New York pitcher gives up a grand slam and the game's basically over at that point. I think Hawaii was already up by like three and then they hit a grand slam and they blow it wide open. And the New York pitcher has tears rolling down his face as he's throwing the next pitch. And it was like the saddest thing in the world to see a kid like literally crying as he's trying to pitch a baseball. Um, but then maybe your mind goes to like knowing that these parents that are at the Little League World Series are 98% like the kind of parents you need to be with this sort of stuff. Hopefully, maybe they, there's like a, a learning moment here and you teach this kid about failure and about adversity and all that sort of stuff. I, that's how I spin it because, again, I'm a very wholesome person, Bill, and I just always look for the, the positives <laughs> in all of this. <laughs> well, when I was growing up, the Little League World Series used to be on ABC and there was this kid from – and we used to lose every year, usually to like Taiwan. And <laughs> you never knew how old the kids were on the other teams because they barely checked that stuff right. back then. But then one year, this guy, Cody Webster – um, at the, he was in one of the, was some town in Washington and he was like the classic kid who seemed like he was 17 who had been through puberty already and just put, he was like Andy Reid in the punt pass and kick it, video. Totally. hundred <laughs> percent. Put the whole country, yeah. he put the whole country in his back and we won the little league world series. We actually ended up doing a 30 for 30 about it. And so that was the one thing I remember from that decade, other than a few years later, there was this kid, Aaron Garcia, which is the reason I'm telling this story who got shelled. And they left him on the mound. And I think his dad was the manager and he was crying on the mound. And it was like, really like one of those moments, like, what are we doing to these kids? And the moment we didn't have the internet back then. So the moment just kind of came and went, but yeah. uh, watching, watching the kid get demolished on the mound and try to hold it together is kind of the, the secret sauce slash third rail of the little league world series. Yeah. Cause it's, you kind of can't look away, but it doesn't make you feel good. You know? I, I just I just thought of this by the way. One change I would definitely make uh, is the the umpires. Um, they're volunteers, and so 
this is a good thing and it's exalted as like all, everyone that works here is a volunteer and it's great for the thing but you watch this stuff and oh my god like honestly if the catcher catches the ball they just call a strike like, yeah you, you'll see catchers turning their gloves every which way and every single pitch is called a strike so that just came to mind but yeah the, it, it's interesting to me bringing going back to your point of like remembering these things is how everyone i talk to about the little league world series thinks i'm crazy for caring this much about it but i find that people who do watch it like even casually even if it's just it's sunday afternoon there's nothing there's not a lot of sports going on you just kind of throw your tv on and it's on and you don't really think you're paying that much of attention to it it's crazy how much people remember about things like people yeah. like danny almonte is like a household name in america and people right. remember that story even though if you ask people how do you feel about the little league world series most of them are like i don't really care is that a thing when is that i don't really know whatever but there are like little, there are character. Monet Davis is the same way. Like everyone remembers Monet Davis. Like these people do kind of stick with you for some reason. And that's, that's kind of interesting to me because I don't really know if there's another sporting event like that where people are just sort of indifferent to the whole thing yet vividly remember certain characters here and there. One of the things that really helps is just when they have it. It's in the most dead sports time of the year, right? Football hasn't started yet. Baseball, yeah. baseball's in the dog days. Basketball's gone. And uh, it's just kind of on. And I think that's really helped it. I feel the opposite or one thing that's been really hurt. I think the women's college soccer, the NCAA, like the whole tournament should be a much bigger deal. But when it's on, it's going against college football, NFL, um, basketball starting. It just gets, it gets lost in the whole thing. It's like late October through early November. But people actually, I think women's soccer could be a thing but it's just the wrong time of year. It's bad timing. Whereas softball, yeah. softball World Series kind of eats up innings during this time where there's like, there's NBA playoffs, there's NHL playoffs. Football's gone at that point. Baseball started, but whatever. And then all of a sudden the softball World Series is eating up all these innings on like this perfect time of the year for it to be on. Um, yeah. I wish it, the the schedule is, is important with this stuff. That's one of the reasons the big three tried to happen. And yeah, and they they kind of targeted the schedule. By the way, I don't ask me why, but people always ask me why you haven't been in the big three or have you been asked? Have you talked about this? No, I have not. I've not been asked. It's uh, <laughs> you've it's, not been asked. <laughs> what an insult! <laughs> yeah, very insulting. Uh, Greg Odin was asked. Odin Odin got did dirty. We, I talked to him about it. He uh he was asked to basically be a part, and he 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 put his name in the draft, whatever that means. Um. And they basically just wanted to use his name to just get some headlines and say like former number one pick enters the big three draft, and then he went undrafted. And like they like basically like Ice Cube or like whoever works for Ice Cube basically called Greg and was like, yeah, we don't really actually want you. We just kind of wanted to <laughs> right to, to brag that we have the rights to a number one pick. And it was, was actually like, that's uh, that's rough. It was actually stupid that they didn't have you because you would have you know you have. A pretty good following, and you have a podcast, and you have all these different ways to promote and push that you would have been. And I actually might be able to. The, the, this is the most insane thing I'll, I might I may ever say in my life. But I actually think I could hang with those guys because they're all old and fat, and I'm still in decent shape. Yeah, so you're still I know, playing. Obviously, they are much better. You know, at their peaks, they were much better players than I was. But yeah, I think I could catch them at like the right time where I could actually be semi-effective out there. I would totally be, I'd be a huge pussy though. Like, like those games, I watched some of those games they just turned into like fist fights and the rest yeah. just kind of shrugged their shoulders because they're, <laughs> they're not going to do anything about it. I, right. I would be a huge pussy. I would, they, they would, they would hit me with like a shoulder and I'd just be like, okay, this is, this is too much. 
Let's uh, let's talk about Ohio State, but uh, let's take a break first. Sure. Let's talk about Miller Lite. Hey, at the Ringer, we have our disagreements. There shouldn't be any debate about one thing. Miller Lite is the great tasting light beer with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. That's fewer calories, half the carbs of Bud Light. So there's really nothing more to talk about. If you have a real argument, let me hear it. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite, hold true. And since we're here, don't forget, dual threat, Ryan Rossillo. Dropping late Tuesday night. College football, pro football. Check it out. Subscribe now. Dual threat, Ryan Rossillo. It's happening. All right, back to Titus. All right, we're back. What what's it like in Ohio State right now? This is one of the bigger scandals Ugh. we've had college football in a while. They suspended him for a few games. He's coming back. It's, it's it's not good. It's embarrassing as hell, Bill, because everyone in not I I gotta be careful with how you choose your words, because it's not everyone. Um but a huge contingent of Ohio State fans not only like are excited that Urban Meyer is back and that that it's only going to be three games and he'll be back for like the meat of the season and we still have national championship and all this sort of stuff. They are are very passionate about this idea that he is the victim in all of this, that mm. this was a witch hunt. And as as an alum of the university, um, it's it's a very trying time. It's it's very very frustrating because I should say that like obviously Ohio State fans like 90% of them probably didn't go to the school there and I don't mean to be like pretentious and say like I'm better than you because I did go to the school there but there is a different element towards my fandom and my appreciation of the university because I care about the school I don't just care about the football team whereas you know like like Bubba Buckeye in Lima Ohio who's like been to Columbus once in his life and just passionately loves the Buckeyes all he ultimately cares about is that there's a winning product on the field on Saturdays so I understand that he has a different point of view, but um, those sorts of people, they, they outnumber the alumni, they, they outnumber the people that are, are uh, you know, stepping back and saying, what does this mean for our entire university? And so there just sort of has this sense of like, basically the, the, the wrong conclusion is being reached and it's very, very frustrating. So I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty fired up about it though. I'll say that much because I, I seem to be alone in this and it's a, uh, um, it, it, it's trying my, it's trying my patience with, with friends and family and whatever else that, that love the Buckeyes and don't necessarily have ties to the school. Oh yeah. So tell me about that. The family friends aspect of this. It's like, it's almost like a miniature version of how Trump has polarized the Thanksgivings at families' yeah. houses. Well, this is the Ohio state version of that. But my point has been like, it doesn't have to be either or like we still have these problems of urban Meyer knowing the coach was arrested in 2009 and then hiring him to Ohio state. He was arrested in 09 for domestic violence at Florida while he's under urban Meyer staff. Meyer comes to Ohio state, then brings him with him. Uh, we still have Zach Smith, the, the, the receivers coach in question. He is in, they have text messages of him apologizing to his wife for strangling her. Um, and, and then all these other run-ins with the law, like it's, it's pretty clear that, Urban screwed this up and he's trying to like cover it up in some way to make himself look better. Um, and so that's, I don't know. And, and that's well, very frustrating because I think but most people it, think if this is true, yeah. Wait, isn't this part of the problem that it's almost like the cover up becomes as bad or worse than the crime? Like the fact that he was trying to cover his tracks after versus just admitting what he knew yeah. when he knew it? That's definitely the problem. I think if in, in Big Ten Media Day, when this whole thing became a story, because he was asked at Big Ten Media Day, like, like basically Zach Smith was fired. Because um, I, I don't know how much of these details you know, Bill. So I'm just trying to fill you in and and the audience. They probably they they, they definitely don't follow it as closely as I do. 
Um, he was asked like before big like Zach Smith fired before Big Ten Media Day because he he has he breaks a restraining order with his ex-wife. And so he gets fired and then everyone goes to Urban Meyer and they're like, why did you just fire him now? Why didn't you fire him years ago when we found out all this stuff? He says, I didn't know about all this other stuff years ago. The first I knew about it, I fired him. And that was a statement. So then it led to people uncovering like, are we sure he didn't actually know? And they start digging up stuff and they're like, well, what about this? This pretty clearly shows that you know. Um, so I think at Big Ten Media Day, if he just comes out and he's like, Hey, listen, I, th- this coach I had on my staff was the grandson of my mentor. Um, I, I trusted him too much. Like I, I had a personal relationship with him. He screwed up. I thought we could work through it. I, I, I made a huge error in judgment. And so I cut ties and, and I'm ready to move on from him. And I apologize for all of it. Like, if you just said something like that, this isn't even an issue. Like people are like, well, that's a shitty thing to do, but I guess you're human and we move on. But he just kept covering it up. He kept saying, like, I never knew about any of this. The investigate, like, so then Ohio State launches an independent investigation to, to figure out what he knows. And Urban Meyer deletes, like, text messages from older than a year. This is a thing that happened. He goes to the he goes to the director of football operations and says, how do you delete text messages? Right. And then when he turns in his phone, all of, like, a lot of his texts were deleted. Um, so that's pretty much, that's how we got to this point. And uh, it's, it's. People live in, in, you know, this is just the way the country works. And I don't mean to make this like a political issue because it's not even that. It's like, I mean, the Jordan versus LeBron debate's the same way. Like people just want to live on the fringes of everything and not take. I, I think the people that are like Urban Meyer's a scumbag, you know, like that side of the, of the fence is just as bad because they paint this picture that like Urban Meyer's the one beating his wife, which is not happening. And I think it's important to like understand the context of what's going on here. Uh, that side is bad. But then obviously the Ohio State fans that are like, I don't see what the big deal is. Like, this isn't an issue. That's also bad. And there's like a middle ground. And I think like I, I was living in the middle ground for a long time and sort of giving Urban the benefit of the doubt, but also saying like, this is this is not a great look for the school. And then as more stuff has come out and you find out that like the school is making up excuses like Urban Meyer has, has memory loss. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, I saw it. They said like, he he had brain surgery one time, so like now he f- basically forgets everything that's not football related, which is like incredible that, that they would even try that. He's deleting his text, like all this stuff. It's just it's just an embarrassment, honestly. Well, and, wasn't um, there wasn't there know. stuff with him? Uh, there was a lot of stuff with him in Florida too, right? Yeah, yeah. That's and and that's the whole other thing is like he 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 came to Ohio State as though like he was reformed and he changed and all this stuff and. And and I don't I don't mean to crucify the guy like I, that's what I I mean like I think I I upset a lot of Ohio State fans when I when I, I made public that I like I was on Twitter when the announcement came and I was like I think this man should be fired. Um, I don't necessarily think he's like like a terrible person or have or a scumbag or a piece of shit or like maybe he is maybe he is I don't really know the guy. Um, I just he has a spotty past. He was kind of skating on thin ice in that regard with his disciplinarian issues at Florida. Um, and, and just the way he's handled this kind of, we've arrived at a point where I think you, you have to basically, there's no way to spin it other than to say Ohio state cares about winning above all else. And, and the really sad thing is that in a weird way, I think that might be like, okay, I think that's sort of like where we've arrived with college sports, which is depressing as hell. But like, I mean, is is Ohio state unique in that regard that they want their coach to win first and foremost and, and everything else comes second. I mean, you obviously can't cross certain lines, but like if Urban really did report this to his people, maybe that's okay. And and, and he deleted te- like I don't know. And and that that's kind of been the other frustrating part is like I'm a guy who loves college sports, 
for all of these, um, you know, the, 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 all the virtues that, that are put forth and, and you, turning boys into men and all of this sort of stuff, because that's what you, cause you have to like, like that stuff. If you like college sports, because like, obviously the talent isn't as good at pro as, as it is with the pro sports. So there has to be something about college that draws people to love college sports. And I love all the human aspect of it. And I love all of the, the, the coach sort of being a leader in, in the community and all this sort of stuff. So for me, like, this is like a very depressing reality, even though I know this is where we've arrived. But um, I think that's just the biggest embarrassment is that I, I, I wish that my school would rise to a level where they're like, you know, like the world around us in college sports has reached a point where this is big business, where this is basically just all fueled by capitalism. But we're going to we're going to take this opportunity to, to kind of help the cause a little bit, sort of turn back the clock slightly and say that we do care about the humanitarian side of this. Um, and they just chose not to. And now here we are. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up about it all. It's very, it's very embarrassing to be an alum. I'll just say that much. I, I gotta I say though, as, and I as, can't really defend Ohio state fans. Cause I don't know. As somebody who, uh, you know, I don't have a favorite college sports team, the a college that I'm attached to anything like that. And I loved I loved watching college football and college basketball, and that faded. Now, as you know, I'm a casual jump into college basketball with four weeks to go and the whole thing fan, and that's it. I don't really care about college football. I, the biggest reason for me over the years was how corrupt it was and how many of these yeah. coaches that I just thought were like bad people. And um, it just seems like over and over again, whether it's college basketball or college football, the people that succeed, not all the time, but, you know, definitely more than a few times, just that seem to be not great guys. And mm -hmm. they don't stand for the right things and they don't stand for, you know, what, what amateur sports is supposed to be about. Now, the, the whole amateur sports thing is a whole other can of worms. But, yeah. um, but it just seems like over and over again, we have these Urban Myers, these types of people that, don't seem to measure up to some sort of just a relatively decent code of moral behavior. I think Patino is one of the best examples of this. Yeah. Just not a good guy. I, I don't see how so, anybody it, can look at Patino and think like, that's a good guy. I'm glad, I'm glad he represents our university. You, you just can't think that. It's, it sucks because I, again, I, I realized it was a very naive position to be in, but I just, I, I'm admittedly naive with all of this stuff. Like I know it goes on, but there's still that part of you that's just like, there's something noble about college sports. Like we need yeah. this in society. We need, we need like, like, I, I mean, again, I, I, a lot of people listen or rolling their eyes as I'm going to talk about this. I know, but like just this idea of, of an extracurricular activity at a university where like students can bring glory to their school and, and it's all, it's all hokey and cheesy. And I understand that, but there are still like some people that, do do that but it's just overwhelmingly getting washed out by these cases and it's it, and again i guess that's where i arrive at the point of like ohio state pretty clearly said that we care about winning and nothing else and especially when you put it in context of they fired thad mata my basketball coach at ohio state who was the greatest coach that the program had ever had like the, the only reason anyone ever cared about ohio state basketball since the the, the mid 60s was because thad mata was so good and had like a run there for a while where we were going to final fours and winning big tens and stuff. They fired him. Basically he was a plus across the board. Never had a, never had his name mentioned in any recruiting scandal, never had like off court problems, never had anything going on. Squeaky clean program. His winning went from like a plus to like B B minus. Right. And they fire him. 
but everything else was perfect. Meanwhile, you have Urban Meyer, who like is pretty pretty clearly like anyone within the program. I obviously know a lot of people at Ohio State that are like within the football program. I know people. I know former football players that played for him, and they'll tell you that this man he cares about winning football games first and foremost, and almost nothing else. And so you have him who's a plus winner, and you know C C minus whatever else, and they keep him around. That's and generous. It's just hard to like wreck. It's hard to reconcile those two thoughts and think like, how have we arrived at a point where anything at this school matters than winning? And the saddest part of all is that maybe that is what college sports is now. And and I know that's that, again, it that's very is. naive. But wait a second, that's what I mean, yeah, it's that's been what, that way for thirty years, forty years. But that's not how I was like raised on college. You know what I mean? Like uh, th- that's been that's been. It has been, but it's I, it's it's so dicey because it's there are still like good coaches out there. Yeah, there are still because I, I guarantee there are going to be people that like tweet at you and, and they're like, "Man, I'm so glad we have Bill Snyder at Kansas State. He would never do this." And you know, Virginia basketball fans are like, "That's why I love Tony Bennett. He does it the right way." Like, there's so many people that are going to chime in and be like, "Our coach does it the right way." Though. They're right, and maybe and and they're probably right. Like, honestly, there are still good guys in the thing. But I think, so in my mind, it's been like the good guys have outweighed the bad guys all this time, or at least, you know, it was like a 70-30 split. Like, there's obviously this corrupt wing of college sports, but there's still enough good that, like, I can, and just in the last, I don't know, five years, it just seems like everything is tipping the, tipping the other way, and it's just becoming very, very frustrating, and and I don't know. And, and we get to a point where, like, I, I'm standing up and saying, my university matters more than me. The reputation of my university matters more to me than beating Michigan in a football game. And Ohio State fans look at me like, you're you some sort of pussy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> you know, so um, I don't know. So it's tough. But I, it's definitely not all Ohio State fans. I will defend that. But I think the other, the other thing, if I could call to action, the Ohio State fans who do have some sense about them, I don't think it's enough to just be like, well, it's not all of us and just sort of dismiss this enormous faction of fans who are like are going to give Urban Meyer a standing ovation like this is going to happen when Urban Meyer comes back against Tulane in September he's going to come out of the tunnel they're going to announce like Urban Meyer head coach of your Buckeyes and the entire place is going to give him a standing ovation and it's going to be absolutely embarrassing as hell and I'm already pissed off about it um and I don't think it's enough to just kind of shrug your shoulders and say well they're bad apples in every fan base like I, I really you know and and I think like I need to do something about this, but what the hell do you do when the board of trustees, the president, the athletic director, and the head football coach all think that this is fine and this is a reasonable outcome? I have no idea. I feel powerless. Well, so I'm coming you, on your podcast to, to voice my thoughts. <laughs> can you imagine if this wasn't just confined to college sports and this happened in the real world where we had like corrupt people and this kind of a yeah, schism be between, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know what they'll be like. Uh, let's take one more break. I want to talk about one more thing with you. Let's talk about our friends with FanDuel. The wait is nearly over. Football is almost here, which means it's fantasy football season. FanDuel has never been more fun or easy to play. If you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel is clearly the destination for you. It has something for everyone, more ways to win than ever before. Don't believe us, has this sound. This season, FanDuel is running a free $250,000 Survivor Contest. It is the biggest free Survivor Contest ever. Here's how it works. Pick one team to win each week. Can't reuse that team again for the rest of the season. Locks before week one. Don't miss your chance. Sign up right now. I am doing this, actually. I'm in. I'm in on the free $250,000 Survivor Contest. You know what the best thing about Survivor Contest is for me? 
I lose in about two weeks and I don't have to worry about them anymore. I'm terrible at this. If you want to get into that free $250,000 Survivor Contest, go to FanDuel.com slash BS. That is FanDuel.com slash BS. New users get a $20 bonus when they make their first deposit. Once again, FanDuel. Come play with me. FanDuel.com slash BS. Hey, I wanted to ask you this while you're here. You wrote you wrote a piece. It wasn't even a piece. It was a post on Reddit a while back about uh, about your issues with uh, with depression, mm-hmm. and we've seen this this year and this summer especially. Um, this has become now a real topic in sports, and you've seen a bunch of people, like pretty big platform people, like Kevin Love. You saw last week on ESPN. Jackie McMullen did a five-part piece about um, mental illness and depression and in the NBA. Are you following this stuff and what's your reaction to it? Oh, I'm definitely following it. Uh, I, I think it's awesome, obviously, like everyone else. Um, it, I, I will say that like I'm, I'm hesitant. I, I definitely follow it and I support all of that. It's It's been a really confusing like last five years or so or whatever three years whatever it was when i posted that thing i forget um to to sort of be the depression guy and i i I enjoy talking about it and all that that stuff and i i do want to help people it's uh it's just become like i i always like caution sort of glorifying it if that makes sense uh i i think there's like a balance to be struck with ending the stigma and i think it's important that everyone talks about it but I also like I'm scared that like there it, it becomes like almost cool to have some sort of mental illness that like the cool. I don't know. I don't know if this makes any sense. No, I, it I've does basically make sense. been debating. No, I, yeah, I, yeah. I get what you're and, saying. And, and so I, I sort of like I've been stuck in this purgatory where like I distance myself from it. But at the same time, I understand my obligation to help people because when I was in the position, I was like, man, if if just one person would reach out that, that I don't feel as obligated to, you know, like obviously my family would reach out when I was struggling with stuff, but you sort of convince yourself that they have to, their family, that's what their job is. Um, so you're just like desperate for one person to reach out. And now I realize in my position now where I've sort of gotten over, I, you know, you never really, you never really cure it or whatever, but I've gotten to a good point. I feel like it's my obligation to reach back down the ladder and help other people. But at the same time, I do sort of want to, it's, 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 it's all a weird thing. Not surprisingly, it kind of messes with my head if 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 you find that as a shocking thing that that a mental illness messes with your head. Right. We we've known um, each other since I think oh oh seven, and when you wrote that yeah. when you wrote that Reddit post, and I I I think I'm I we've been pretty close over the years, and I feel like we've had a lot of conversations about a lot of things. I had no idea you were going through any of that stuff till I read that post, and yeah. I I think a lot of people in your life were like that, and um. I think my reaction, one, I was worried about you, but two, I, I felt bad that I didn't know. But then, you know, I think that's one of the things with this. How do you know? How how do you know you, that you're that you can even potentially help somebody or talk about it with somebody if you have no idea they're going through something? But that seems to be a recurring theme with all of this stuff. And the hardest, the hardest thing, and the re, the one thing I'm like most excited about all these athletes speaking out is beyond just like the 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 attention they're bringing to it and. And obviously, a guy like Kevin Love stepping up and 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 really throwing his himself behind this means so much more than than me doing it. Um, so like obviously that's a great thing, but I think it's the fact that they're athletes is is can't be undersold how important that is because I think like being like a high school college age athlete 
and going through this is, and I say this from personal experience is, is the most confusing thing in the world because you've been, you're conditioned every single day in practices and, and, and weightlifting and, and all that sort of stuff. Like you are macho, you are, you are a badass. We're going to compete. We are going to not talk about our feelings. We're going to, you know, and this is how you're, you're programmed your entire life in sports. And so that to have like an athlete like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan speaking up about stuff like this, um, to basically like say to, to kids in college that are, that are competing every single day, like it's okay to, it doesn't make you weak to say like, I need help with this. Um, that's that's the one thing that stands out to me because I think like the people that are least likely to seek help for this, in my view, are are high school and college athletes. Like I really think, thinking back on my experience, that time in my life, there was a zero percent chance I was ever going to reach out to anybody and say like, "Hey, I'm mentally weak," you know, because that's how I viewed it. It was like, "Hey, I'm mentally weak. I can't handle this." And then I, I would just view like that makes me a lesser athlete. It makes me a lesser man. And at that point in your life, you're trying to become a man and you're trying to show the world that I'm a man. I've I'm fully grown and this is who I am. Um, so I think that's huge, too, is like is like having having someone like Kevin Love, who is an athlete and, and, and DeMar DeRozan. And I don't mean to keep talking about those guys, all the other guys that keep bringing it up. Um, well, think awesome, back, so. think back, uh, think back 12 years to Adam Morrison, right? clearly was going through stuff and then it came out after the fact that he was having a bunch of issues but that like that situation when he lost in the tournament and he was crying on the court after and everybody just made fun of him remember it was like oh my right. god oh Morrison's crying what the hell's wrong with him I'm sure I made fun of him um, oh, and yeah. then, then he goes to the NBA and he's a bust oh my god what a bust Adam Morrison is and now that now you look back and you're like that guy was probably on a scale of one to 10 for somebody going through stuff was probably an eight or a nine and was yeah. clearly the reason over anything else that he failed. Cause I still think he should have been a good NBA player. He also got hurt, which didn't help him. But, um, but I wonder now with that people are becoming more and more and more aware of this stuff is I wonder how that translates the next time we have like an Adam Morrison type situation. And now on the flip side of that, this is start. This kind of fundamentally alters the landscape of sports. If you really want to go big picture, dramatic about it, because part of sports is like you sit in the crowd, you yell at the other team, you try to get under people's skin. Like what one of the greatest, right. one of the greatest sporting events I've ever been to in my life was Game Six of the nineteen eighty six Finals, the day before Ralph Sampson had punched Jerry Seachting, who was like fourteen inches shorter than him. He starts this huge brawl. Um, kind of sucker punched him actually goes back to the Boston garden. Celtics have a chance to close and everybody's ready to jump on Ralph Sampson and you go in and it was like a Roman Coliseum. And we like really psyched him out. Like he was, we took him out of the game. He was horrible. And it was like one of the great fan experiences. Like, yeah, we broke that guy. But now we're in this right. 2018 context of like, yeah, we broke that guy. It kind of feels weird to say. And I just wonder how this is going to play out with the fan player experience, um, the competitiveness of crowds, what people can and can't say. It just feels like we're heading toward a new world. I, again, I don't want to be like super um, over the top about it, but it does feel like something's about to change and I can't put my finger on what. 
No, I don't think you're. I don't think you're wrong, by the way, because it, it's affected. Like going through it has affected how I do the job I do. Where you know, you, you and I, at the core of our job, is we watch sports and we basically make jokes and observations about what yeah. we're seeing, and it becomes like what's okay to joke about. Like like Tate and I on our podcast last week, we were talking about Zion Williamson and whether he's fat or not, and even that, like he sort of, it's it's obviously funny because he's not fat but maybe is like who cares in the ultimate but then i don't know like maybe zion maybe this is something that bothers him that he weighs 285 pounds and is that okay to make fun of maybe that's very very soft i don't really know but i think at the end of the day i think like having empathy is never the wrong answer um well let me ask you this hold hold that thought though let's say zion williamson dms you on twitter and he's like hey man i heard your podcast they really hurt my feelings I've I've been battling my way and I'm having some issues. Now it's like now you now you feel like the biggest asshole in the world. On the flip side of that, absolutely. On the flip side of that, that's a fun conversation. Who are the best fat guys exactly. in basketball? And it's like I don't know what the balance is anymore. It feels like everything's going to be out of whack the more we start overthinking this stuff. And who is the arbiter of all of this and deciding what's fine? I mean, that's kind of what I've done is, uh, you know, especially when I started out in this business and you took me under your wing and all of this. And I would I, I would sometimes be aggressive in making fun of people. I said, like the worst example of this was Tom Crean and he called me and confronted me. And I remember that. Like, yeah. Did I? Yeah. And he's like, did I murder your family? Like, why are you talking about this to me? And and I remember like hanging up the phone from that conversation and instead of saying like the smart thing, because again, at this point I was what, like 24 or five, who knows? I hung up the phone and I was like, screw that guy. And I like almost wanted to double down on everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think like, like so so what you have to do is you, this is what I do is I just step, you step back and you think like, okay, what did I actually say? Is that crossing a line? Um, you know, like, I think it's fair to make fun of Tom Crane's coaching abilities. I think it's fair to make fun of like how he pulls up his pants and adjusts his belt. And he just kind of like is licking his lips at all times. Like, I think these sorts of things are fine. Maybe some other stuff is not fine. And then you take, you step back even a step further and it's like, hold on, who are you to decide like, what's fine at like, why, why does that fall on me? Cause it's always like, am, am I really going to, to make, have the tough conversation with myself and be like, Hey man, you're an asshole. You should probably stop that. Uh, so it's 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 crazy, man. Because like I I don't really know how to solve all this. Because again, yes, this is our job is like entertain people and make these observations, and you don't want to coddle athletes. Like if LeBron is, like I, I don't know if LeBron sucks in a game, you should be able to say he sucks in a game and not have to worry about like we don't we don't know what happened to his daughter at school that day. You right. know what I mean? Like obviously you should be able to be like LeBron just didn't have it tonight and you should be able to comment on that. Um, but yeah, where is the line? I don't know. It's, uh, that's going to be interesting to see how well, everything the, shakes out. But I think, and the other front, yeah. the other frontier is going to be player evaluation and player analysis. And you know, if, if part of, part of being a great player is, is mental toughness. It's just, right. it's one of the best traits you can have in basketball and football and all these things, like the ability to persevere through adversity. And now we're in this world where these players are saying, I have issues. I get in my own head. I have battles with anxiety. And you have that information. What do, what do you do with it? What do you do with it if you're competing against them? Chris Bosch said this on my podcast when he was there a few months ago and he was we were talking about Kevin Love and Kevin Love's revelation that he had been battling issues with depression and stuff. And Chris Bosch basically said, 
you know, I really feel for him. He put it really eloquently. I really feel for him. At the same time, I'm a competitor and all I'm doing all the time when I'm playing against somebody and there's only one title every year is to try to figure out how to get under their skin, how to get the best of them. Yeah. And if I have that information, it's currency to me. And I think some people are like, wow, that's harsh. But think about it. Like, think about the shit we witnessed with Tristan Thompson and Draymond Green. Like, these guys are fighting for the title and anything is fair game. And they're calling each other motherfucker and all these terrible things and talking about girls that, you know, that they bang their right. girlfriend, all the shit they say to each other. But now you have this. So how does that change that whole interaction? I, it's just the whole thing. I can't wrap my head around it, for lack of a better uh, expression. No, I, I, I completely understand. And then like, you know, player personnel decisions, you know, like if, 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 if Kevin Love becomes a free agent or, or, you know, he's probably too good for this to be a problem. I mean, most people would want a skill, but you know, some, some middle tier player. Well, let's say Michael, Be let's say Michael like, Beasley, let's say Michael Beasley yeah, comes Mike, out and says, you go, Michael Beasley. I was battling yeah. shit the last nine years. I have, I have issues and I'm dealing with them now. And then, and then the the league looks at that like the, the the general managers around the league are like I don't really want to you know I mean I hope the guy gets help but I don't really want you know if it's gonna affect his play I don't really want him on my team necessarily um, does that make them assholes if they really think that it's gonna affect how he plays because their job is to build the best team? I mean you think a guy like Royce White remember like his his problem like where he didn't want to fly and he had his anxiety going on and. And at a certain point, the NBA was like, well, we just can't deal with this. I mean, like, we wish you well, man, but we can't deal with it. And is that cold? Is that, you know, like, that's kind of what they have to do. Um, but at the same time, you wish that there was a way around. I don't know. It's it's all very – because the, well, the sport by nature, like, the whole structure of the business is competitive by nature and and cutthroat and ruthless and all of this. So, um, yeah, the thing I don't is, know. I, I think – Sports is a meritocracy. Yeah. And if he's competing for an NBA job against other players – and those players are more reliable than he is. And the talent is, there's no different, but no real difference between what he brings as an 11th man versus some other person who just shows up for practice every day and you're not dealing with the drama of whatever they're going through. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to say that they shouldn't just take the guy who's drama free. And that right. that's, so in a weird way, if you're, if you're battling an issue like this, it, are we sure it's that different than like if somebody has a, a like Harry Giles who's had his knees operated on both knees? How is this different? The head is part of the body. So if somebody makes that case to me, I don't really know what my counter is because it's like ultimately you're buying these guys. It's their bodies and their minds that you're hiring to employ to get the most out of. And if one of those things right. is off, whether it's your knee, your foot, your head, any of these things, how do we deal with that? And that's the part I don't, I don't get, but I'm willing to be so educated on it. Do you think the league is prepared for the optics of a headline that says like, like Kevin Love is cut and, or, or like we talked to one scout and an anonymous scout says, I wouldn't touch Kevin Love with the problem, with the baggage he has. You know, yeah, and and that comes out like is the league hand like can they because that that looks terrible like it makes sense as you break it down like you just said um but that's obviously a problem to have a headline that's like we want nothing to do with Kevin Love because of his mental problems that's like that, that's terrible that's a terrible look so um, well let's yeah, say I don't somebody know. I, let's say somebody had battles depression and anxiety and now you're thinking about wow we have a chance to win the title this year. 
And now we have to count on this guy in a game seven. Can we count on him? This is why I'm so fascinated by this topic because this terrain that we're now going into is a terrain I never thought we would enter because all of this yeah. was like hand in hand with me. It's like mental toughness, um, physical condition, talent, the ability to come through when it matters. And like Adam Morrison folds in a title game and starts crying. That's not somebody I want on my team. But now I'm starting to look at it like, well, why is he crying? Can we help him? Can we make him better? And it's just it's just all discombobulating. And I, I don't have so answers. I guess, I guess in a perfect world, you'd figure out a way to sort of to separate the off court and the on court in, in the same way that maybe this is a, a similar conversation to the idea that like now all the NBA players are best friends with each other off the court. Yeah. And 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 can we trust that can we trust that when the Lakers play the Rockets in the playoffs this year that LeBron's really gonna try to destroy Chris Paul because they're friends and um, do we really, you know, so maybe there's like that element where like you, you kind of have to detach both of them if it's possible in some way. Be- I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of just, or we're, out loud or this, we're like overthinking all this and like sports should still, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Right. No. That, that's why like we should talk about this in two months. Cause I haven't been fascinated as fascinated by a random sports topic as this one in a while. I read all this stuff and I really put thought into like, How's this going to change sports? And for one of the rare times, could not come up with an answer because I have no idea where this is going. I'm with you. It's it's very confusing because hearing you talk about like you know yelling at Ralph Sampson and all this stuff, the idea of of kind of weeding that out of sports is absurd. The idea that like fans can't yell insults at players is the most absurd thing in the world to me. You can't get rid of that, but there is probably a fine line. At the same time. If, if a fan was like yelling the n-word at players everyone would universally yeah, agree that yeah. is yeah you're 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 agreeing that the, that that has crossed the line so a line has been established at what fan behavior even if it is just words or whatever there is there is a line that's been drawn but where is the line um yeah it, it's 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 all very confusing i think like i guess my ultimate stance is that empathy is never wrong uh it might be soft it makes you some people think you're a pussy and, and soft and, and all that sort of stuff. But um, I don't know. Just as I've gotten older and, and I've kind of worked through it myself, it's like I don't think you can ever go wrong just having empathy towards something someone's going through. Um, that doesn't mean you necessarily take it easier on them. But if you can just stop for a second and think like, did Kevin Love suck in game three because he had mental problems? And if the answer is yes, that doesn't mean you can't say like, Kevin Love sucked in game three. It's just maybe not rip the guy to shreds. And I don't know maybe maybe find the middle ground but where is the middle ground and as you said that's going to be something that it'll be interesting to see where society falls on this over the next five to ten years and you're and you're in pretty good shape right now i am in good shape i should i should uh inform the listeners and and bring this up to you again the the funniest part of me going through like coming out with with my struggle with depression and, and kind of talking about how i've reached a good point and all this sort of stuff um i deleted my twitter account for for basically mental health reasons, like Twitter was just wearing me down at, at a certain point. Like I'd reached a good point in, in my life. And then every time I get on Twitter, I'd see some guy with four followers calling me an asshole. Yeah. And I reached the point where I was like, why do I put up with this? Like I'm trying to rise above all of this with my mental health. So I deleted my Twitter account and within an hour you called me. It was, it was like the South park episode where you, you called me and you basically thought like I'd done something drastic and you're like, Titus, are you okay? I was like, why? What's going on? You go, 
your Twitter account's deleted. We're worried about you. And I was like, Bill, I've never been happier in my life than when I deleted my Twitter account. <laughs> so is your Twitter account still gone? No, I still have it. Yeah. I, I deleted it because you told me I I brought it back. But I yeah, that's that was, what I thought. I was like, I, I was like, am I remembering funny. this wrong? Yeah, I, I felt no, like I was that saying, was no, an I, overreaction. But here's the thing. Just don't, I say this to everybody. Just don't look at your replies. There's no really have to look at your replies. And by the way, everybody has terrible shit in their replies. Yeah, There's always this wave of like, know. oh, this, the, the, the Twitter has been horrible to this section of people or that. It's like, Twitter's horrible to everybody. Twitter, Twitter is equal opportunity horrible. And whether you want to wade in and look at those replies and see people say and write terrible shit about you and your family and your friends and things you said, like that's, that's on you. If you want to read that shit, God bless you. But, um, I, I especially think with writers, it's, it's really dangerous and I, I don't really see the upside. Get your tweets. It's get- the worst. And the, and the other, the other worst part about it is that complaining about it makes like, no one wants to hear you complain about it either. Like these people, like the people listening to your podcast right now, they are rolling their eyes and like you're a public figure this is what you signed up for and in a, in a certain point they're right as well so it's just i don't it's the same sort of thing like guys like you like certainly you're at a much much higher level than me but like we are public figures and people criticize us and it, it comes back around of like do i have a right to be upset for people criticizing me when i criticize other people the whole thing's the whole thing's a mess so i just try Listen, to do i just you- try to be empathetic and be nice and figure out the rest later my name, if you just email me, the mailbag at the ringer.com. Um, I'm happy to read that. I'm not, I, I have no interest in reading some 80 character fucking shitty comment. Send me an email. <laughs> um, I'm available. I've checked my emails, I read them. I might do a podcast mailbag soon. So that'll happen. All right. This went way longer than I thought, but this is a topic that I definitely want to revisit the more we write about and learn about it. Cause it, it really is one of those things that maybe reconsider and reconceive a lot of the sports experiences I've had over the course of my life. But Mark Titus, mm-hmm. we can hear you on one shiny podcast. A lot of rumors about you moving to Los Angeles. A lot of rumors right now. Seeing in the gossip. There, there columns, are a lot of rumors. Seeing some blind yeah, items. So the crazy days or nights not- had some blind items about it. Which I just don't know what's real and what's not real. They are not unsubstantiated, but they are still rumors nonetheless. Yeah. Put it that way. So, All right. Well, I know. We'll see. I All know right. nephew Kyle's excited because he doesn't have enough people to uh, be out with until two in the morning. You so. know it. Plus, he need he needs his own. And speaking of interventions, he needs an intervention, but not. It's <laughs> not more here. of a dating here, intervention, not and here, it's not going to be on this podcast. Uh, Mark We're Titus, talk to you soon. Thanks for coming up. All right. Thanks. All right. See you guys. All right. We're going to call Jacko to talk about the Yankees and the Red Sox. An impending 1978, 40 years later, flashbacks. Ugh. And uh, also John McCain and Mike Francesa's new app and my trip to Tampa Bay. But first, let's talk about Framebridge. I posted on Instagram, added some new, beautifully framed by Framebridge photos to my office where I do all the podcasts. Joining the joining the uh, the main area, Will Smith, the original cast from Saturday Night Live. The greatest cast ever from 90210, Metallica. Oh, yeah. Framebridge did all that. They make it easy and affordable to frame your favorite things from art, prints, and posters to travel photos on your phone. Go to framebridge.com, upload your photo, or safely mail in your physical pieces with Framebridge's provided packaging. Previewed online in any frame style. Choose your favorite or get free recommendations from Framebridge's talented designers, their expert team 
will custom frame your item and deliver it directly to your door, ready to hang. I just lived through this literally last week. It's that easy. Instead of the hundreds you'd pay at the framing store, their prices start at $39, all shipping free. Get started today. Frame your photos or send the perfect gift for weddings, birthdays, special events. Go to framebridge.com. Use promo code BS. You'll save an additional 15% off your first order. Go to framebridge.com. Promo code BS. Nephew Kyle's looking at Fair Fawcett right now. <laughs> Look how beautiful she was, Kyle. Oh, God what damn. a great 70s woman she was. Strong, powerful. A little bit scary. Yeah. yeah. She's watching you, Kyle. I know. I'm watching her. Courtesy of framebridge.com. All right, let's call Jacko. On the line right now, an increasingly confident Jacko, my buddy, my Yankee fan friend. One of my only Yankee fan friends. We've been doing this forever. Wow. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today, but we might as well start with uh, with an improbable Yankee resurgence. I was in Tampa Bay with my <clears throat> son on Friday and Saturday, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, watching the Red Sox just kind of lose their luster a little bit. Johnny. You yeah. feel, are you feeling confident? <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel I feel good. Uh, you know, you, you you don't want to get too excited about you know sweeping the Baltimore Orioles, who are a historically bad team no? this season. But um, you know, given that the Yankees were six and six against the Orioles up to this point, uh, I'm actually pretty happy with a four game sweep, even though they've been bad. I mean, they, they've played lousy against the Orioles, so maybe we finally uh, turn the corner and we're going to beat up on some shitty teams for a while. That would be nice. Yeah, your schedule is kind of favorable coming up. We, for some reason, Tampa has—I don't know—they—they've just looked super frisky against the uh, against the Sox lately. The bats went cold at the wrong time. I'm concerned. I didn't like what I saw in wow. Tampa Bay. I'll put it that way. I didn't—I wow. didn't enjoy it. On the other hand, I didn't like the fact that the Red Sox were peaking in August. And I feel like if you're going to go in a swoon, this is the perfect time to do it. You don't—you never want to have the swoon happen. At the end of September or even later than that, right? This is what I tell myself. Uh, I've been hoping and, and praying, really, for an implosion by the Sox. So maybe maybe my wishes and hopes have come true now. And maybe we're in the beginning of the implosion. My God, I would be so happy. If we had a 1978-like collapse now in the age of Twitter and you know all the other social media we have, it would be so fantastic. Nothing would make me happier because you know Sox fans were on top of the world, and why wouldn't they be? You know, the four game sweep and, and, uh, you know, 50, 80, 60 games over 500, however many they were, running away with it. So to come back to earth would be fantastic. I still think it's out of the realm of possibility, but it would be exciting. I blame myself. I was, I was really enjoying the whole 50 plus games over 500 win streak and being one of like the seven or eight best teams of all time. Uh, I, I was starting to buy the hype, Jacko. I should have seen it coming. You know, I'm too it old. occurred to me. It occurred to me this morning because I, I was thinking about it, like, you know, because the Yanks are, you know, semi back in the picture a little bit here for the AL East. And I was thinking about like modern day fans and the modern day Red Sox fan, you know, the pre 2004 does not has no idea what the pre 2004 Red Sox fan experienced because you grew up and inherited from your father growing up like just always expecting the inevitable collapse from the Sox. Yeah. You know, that it happened, it happened, you know, it happened in 78 with Bucky Dent. It happened in the World Series in 86 against the Mets, 2003 with Aaron Boone. So so the current generation of Red Sox fan is really, has known nothing but success. Yeah. So it would really be a fantastic throwback for them to get to experience some of the misery that older generation Red Sox fans experienced for for most of their life, except for the past uh, you know fifteen years or so. Be great. 
I disagree with you, and I wouldn't enjoy it at all, actually. I, I don't think it would be a good thing in the least. I would enjoy it immensely. They ripped off. They were 51 and 27. And and then they were 80, 80, uh, 8 and 36. So they ripped off basically a 37 and 9 streak, streak there. And right. it was feeling really good. And I was enjoying the top 10 teams of all time graphics that sure. people are putting up. You're right, though. I think the biggest thing that has changed in my entire life, and I'm including everything, including the internet, um, having having porn <laughs> readily available, uh, the fact that Donald Trump is our president. I think Correct. the most shocking thing that's happened to me in, t- in my entire life is feeling some level of confidence as a baseball fan. It is the it's one thing. I, it's the one thing I just thought was going to be in my DNA for my whole life. Just assuming the worst thing was going to happen at all times, and between <laughs> 04, 07, and thirteen, it was like having this cancerous appendage just severed from my body. I don't think people can quite grasp like what a big deal that was because your crusty New England Red Sox fan, the Murph and Sully type, you know. They knew nothing but disappointment when it came to the Red Sox yeah. and, and losing in an embarrassing fashion and catastrophic failures and what have you and so forth. I mean, the 2004 to come back from three nothing down when everybody was already geared up for the here we go again to do it against your most hated rival, the evil empire, and then to follow that up by winning again in 07 and 13 and being always in the mix for the AL East and having competent non-racist leadership is really like all, all new things for the Red Sox fan to experience. <laughs> that was a great dig. You worked that one right in. Yeah. The, uh, the Red, I wrote a column once when I had my old website and I think it's in the, the collection that I did with my Red Sox book about this game the zero zero or maybe it was one zero Cleveland game against the Red Sox in 2000. It was like a must win to keep the Red Sox uh, basically alive that season. And Nomar hit this ball that hit like the very, very, very top of the wall, like within one foot of being a homer, but it wasn't a homer. And it was a double. And he ended up at second with no outs in the eighth inning. We just needed one run and everybody in the park gave up. Because we're like, oh, I can't believe that wasn't a homer. We just all quit. <laughs> you could feel, right. feel it in the park. And it was like, wow, we, we need like therapy. So, so uh, you know, maybe we're due for a comeuppance. I don't, I don't. Uh... I remember making fun of you, and and because I had the 1999 New York Yankees commemorative season. I don't even think it was a DVD. It might have been the VHS tape. Yeah. And they do the, you know, they do the retrospective on the season and the highlights and the World Series and everything else. And they had an interview with Bernie Williams in there and Bernie Williams was talking about how they were nervous before the ALCS against the Red Sox in 99 or I think they played in the ALCS. Uh, whatever playoff series it was. I'm old. I can't remember 19 years ago, but yeah. whatever series it was and they were like, geez, you know, the Red Sox are good. They got Pedro and, you know, he struck out 17 of us earlier this season or whatever and, you know, we're a little nervous and then he's like, Yogi Bear came through the locker room and was basically like, why are you guys nervous? We've been kicking their ass for 100 years. <laughs> Bernie right. was like, oh, that's right. Yeah, like, I don't have to be nervous. And yeah. Sure enough, that held true to form and, and all that, you know, the world flipped on its axis in 2004. So, well, now, really now Yogi Bear is dead. But now maybe it's going to bounce right back on its axis and, and order will be restored. Let's hope. Yeah, and Yogi Bear is dead, so he can't say that anymore. The, <laughs> the, uh, I'm looking at the August stats for the Yanks. So you brought up this guy, Luke Voigt, a couple days right. ago. 
they finally decided to stop sending the carcass of Greg Bird out for our bats. It was interesting because crows and mosquitoes were circling him as he was in the in the batter's box. I've never seen a situation like that before. Buzzards. Buzzards were circling him. He was on my fantasy team until a month ago when we shrewdly traded him. Because nice. we, we were watching him going, this guy kind of sucks. Like, I, I don't see it. He had like he would have like one three-homer game a month and then would just strike out all the other times. So right. they finally and got we're always turning we're always turning the corner with Greg Bird. Like every you know the Yankees announcers so finally healthy to encourage him. Yeah. Like, oh, he had a, he had a grand slam a couple weeks ago, and since that time, I think he's hit about 140. So everybody was like, oh, the grand slam, he's coming out of it, he's shaking off the injury rust, and well, here we go, look out, here comes Greg Bird, and and no, it was not here comes Greg Bird. He's he's horrible. Yeah, he's not coming. Horrible. It's it's not coming at all. Yeah. What's no. funny though is. Luke Voigt and Miguel Andujar, who's been red hot mm. all month. But other than that, the like Stanton has eight homers in August. Other than that, the Stanton Yanks... was Stanton had Stanton was pretty good. He's pressed yeah. a little bit now because he's trying to get his three hundredth homer, and you could he really wanted to do that in Florida. Like you could see him like gripping the bat a little too tight, and he was trying to do it last night. You could see he's he's swinging for the fences, but he ha- he had been hot. But other than Andujar, like they're you know Glaber Torres kind of came back to earth, although he, he's he's been better the past few games, but he definitely came back to earth. They get no production from Greg Bird. They get really not Hicks has been okay and but they're without Didi Gregorius Sanchez and Judge I mean that's a lot of offensive firepower Judge looks hurt and now make a little run yeah Judge looks hurt he's on my team right. my fantasy team now and it's they said it was three weeks and then it's like there's still soreness I keep getting these updates right he still, still can't swing a his bat wrist still and doesn't saying, feel well, right. it's gonna be like three weeks but it's been it's not great that he still has pain there and it's still fractured, and he can't swing a bat. And we're like getting to be the end of August. That's a little disconcerting. Yeah, it's interesting. In August, Strictly, actually, the Yankees are only hitting like two forty, but somehow you feel like you have all this momentum. The pitching's been a little better, but now Stabilized now Chapman. I mean, it's, now Chapman's hurt. <clears throat> Chapman's hurt. They've been. They definitely have had a favorable schedule. The the real test is going to be next week. Uh, this week they play the White Sox and they play the Tigers, but then they go on the road and they play. Three in Seattle and three in Oakland. That's that's really going to be. Oakland's been good. Telling. Yeah, Oakland. Oakland's red hot. Seattle's good. That has wild card implications. So it's on the road. Now they're allegedly going to have Didi and Sanchez back supposedly, which helps things because Austin Romine has been pretty good, but he's just not meant to be an everyday catcher. And he's kind. You can see he's kind of wearing down at the plate now because he's not used to playing every day. So every um, every once in a while, Oakland has one of these weird Billy Bean teams. Where they right. just get like the Mike Fears, Edwin Jackson, they just kind of cobble together this pitching staff. They get this lights out closer out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, just things start happening, and you can't figure out how it's happening. And you you watch them play, and you can't figure out who the dangerous bats are, but somehow they're winning three to two and two to one. It's really crazy. Baseball salivating over the prospect of a Yankees Red Sox, you know. Civil War in the playoffs, and they're going to end up with an Oakland Cleveland ALCS. Yeah, Oakland Rockies in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> the Rockies, the A's. Talk, talk Rob Manfred off the ledge, right? The uh, the judge thing. Every time somebody gets hit, this happened with Bogarts last year too. The guy gets hit in the wrist, and they're like, "Yeah, there's a small fracture, it's a hairline fracture, there's some tendon, but it, it's going to be three weeks. He'll be fine." The person's never fine. Either it takes no. them forever to come back, or when they come back, they have no power at all. Like Bogarts was never the same last year when he came back, but uh, right. it just never, never seems like it works out for them. So I went to, um, I went to Tampa. 
I was in Florida with my son. We went to go see everybody at Full Sail. Shout out to them. Went to the WWE NXT event, which was awesome. Took my son. Went to the Performance Center the next day. My son did a wrestling entrance, which was impromptu. Um, <laughs> saw saw the ramp, asked if he could do it, and did this two-minute wrestling entrance. And everyone had 70 wrestlers chanting, this is awesome for him. So I... I, I, we're at the point of no return where I think he's going to be a professional wrestler. And it's, it's like the Miz on the real world 20 years I ago. I can't say, stop it. He really is. I can't stop it anymore. The good thing is I won't have to pay for college. We'll just get him going at age 18. Right. Um, but then we went to, we decided we could have left or we could have driven to Tampa for the Tampa Red Sox series, which is like a two hour drive. So we did that and went to the trap, which I had been to 10 years ago, which was terrible 10 years ago. <laughs> And, uh, and, um, has not changed in 10 years. So it's gone from terrible to 10 years older from being terrible, but you know, they have these weird thunderstorms in, in Florida. So you need, need the dome. So you're there and all of a sudden there's like thunder for five minutes and it sounds like the state is being attacked and then it just (laughs) goes, then it just goes away. Um, it's, it's the strangest environment for sports not only in baseball, but arguably in out of all four of the professional sports, it's kind of indescribable. It's I've fr- never been there mercifully, but it looks it looks terribly depressing on television. And you know, we live in a golden age where these weather situations can be rectified by having a retractable roof. Now, yeah, I understand they're exorbitantly expensive, but I mean, down there, you know, you could also have like beautiful day, beautiful sunny days in the spring and in the fall. Yeah, you could have the roof open, and then if there's a you know threat of thunderstorms, which there is pretty much every day in Florida in the summer, I guess you could close up the roof. I think they're trying to get a new stadium, but I think that they're running into difficulties with financing or or you know location or something. I know there's a big battle down there. And, yeah, I don't you know, think it's been resolved. Maybe mercifully they can just be put out of their misery and moved somewhere where it makes more sense. Yeah, so it's in St. Petersburg, which I always forget. It's really like a half hour from Tampa. I mean, there's stadiums like that where obviously Giant yeah. Stadium is in New Jersey and things like that. But right. It's not even in Tampa. It's in St. Petersburg, which is, you know, kind of a lesser part of that whole area. And um, Florida, just in general, is you just forget how strange Florida is until you go back. <laughs> There's a, there's a reason they don't charge state income tax in Florida. <laughs> they, they really want people to live there. And there's just like random hurricanes that go on for like five minutes and then go away where all of a sudden you're in the biggest, craziest thunderstorm of your life and then it ends. And right. uh, and the stadium itself, you know, put, put it this way, Johnny, tickets were available. So <laughs> Always. Yeah, so fortunately we are just able to go on SeatGeek and, you know, there's seats everywhere and you can kind of pick where you sit. We're in this area now with baseball where depending on how much money you spend, you can basically, you can decide I'm going to sit there. I'm going to, I, whatever you want to do. So I want to sit behind the Red Sox dugout. So we got seats right behind the Red Sox dugout. Dick Vitale was nice. two rows two rows down. Yeah. He's the four season ticket. So I ended up sitting with him for a few innings. He's doing great. It's, it's awesome. We, it's weird to talk to the toned down Dick Vitale, who's not on TV, right. who's just like a normal guy, but he's such a nice guy. Uh, yeah, so he's Tampa's biggest fan. He's been coming 20 years. They have the banners up over the left field wall, and it's basically like, you know, they have the three, they put they put up three banners for 08, which I thought was funny, like division champs, oh my God. 
uh, AL, AL East champs, division champs, and then uh, 08 pennant. And then there's like two others. So they have five banners total. They've been there for 25 years. They have three retired numbers. Can you guess? Can you guess what the three retired numbers for the Tampa Bay Rays are? One of them is Wade Boggs. Fred McGriff. No. <laughs> I was going to say Evan Longoria, but he's still playing. Um, I don't. It, Boggs has to be one of them, but I, I couldn't give you the other two. Can't give me the other two? No. I actually have to look up who the third one was because I, I couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is Jackie Robinson. Okay, yeah, sure. I should have guessed that. So that happened. Um, I wasn't counting that. I was thinking they were actual raised players. The second one is Wade Boggs, who played there for two years. Right. The last and retired as a, and he went into the Hall of Fame with a raised hat because they bought him a Cadillac or something. Isn't that the thing? The third one is Don Zimmer. <laughs> really. They retired number 66 in Don Zimmer's honor because he was a special advisor for them for a couple years near the end. So those are their three retired numbers. Wade Boggs literally played his entire career and then went to Tampa to try to get 3,000 hits and ended up there the last two years of his career. Retired his number. So that's well, it. As a as a fan of as a fan growing up of the mighty Hartford Whalers, I I know whereof you speak because the Whalers and still hanging, I believe to this day in the Civic Center, is we retired Gordy Howe's number. Now I'll I'll give you Gordy Howe. He was a legit. Gordy Whaler. Howe is like one of the, the five best hockey players of all time. Of course, I'm not I'm not killing yeah. them for retiring Gordy Howe, but they also had. John, John Pye McKenzie, oh, who no. was a legendary Boston Bruin who yeah. played for the Bruins for like 25 years and had a cup of coffee with the Whalers on the you know, last legs of his career because he wanted to play with Gordie Howe when they were both like 50, and they retired his number. Now, Gordie Howe, I'll give you, who was a legit Whaler and the New, New England Whalers, played with his sons, Hartford Whalers, the whole nine yards. I, I love Gordie Howe. I, I yield to no one in my love for Gordie Howe, but... As a franchise, they had to retire John Pye McKenzie's number because they were grasping at straws to have anything. So I think the Rays are in a similar boat. Don Zimmer, retired. Don Zimmer, 66. So um, so on Saturday, was Wade Boggs bobblehead night? Nice. And uh, so we, we get in early and not realizing they're going to honor Wade at the game. <clears throat> and this time we were sitting pretty close, too, because you can kind of sit wherever you want in Tampa. And um, so Wade was there. Nice. Have you seen Wade lately? Not recently, no. I think the last I saw of Wade is when we, last time I was on a podcast, we talked about the Ted Williams uh, biography on on, uh, PBS, and he was involved in that. Yeah. But I don't know when that was filmed. He looks phenomenal. I mean, he's like, he's 60. I would describe him as kind of looks like a retired porn actor. Nice. Like he he's got a little Kenny Rogers thing kind of going. I yeah, think. he's got. He definitely dyed his hair to keep it like the Dr Pepper, um, but just looks very Florida. And uh, <laughs> my son is one of those kids that anything he gets for free, he's super excited about. Yeah, you know, like any sort of oh, this could be worth something. Like he has no context of when anything's worth. So we get these bobbleheads. He's like, we got to bring these home. And then by by about midway through the game, he left. He decided to leave them under a seat. No, he left the Wade Boggs bobblehead. He did. 
He did. I think even he grasped that there wasn't a lot of magic in the in the wow. way bugs. Did you bugs. keep yours? I did not. Wow. I did not. That's unbelievable. Did not. Some some lucky some lucky kid maybe scooped them up. Wade Boggs bobbleheads. The other thing beloved with Red Sox, beloved Yankee Wade Boggs, unbelievable. The other thing with them, and, and I'm not the first person to make this point. I wrote this piece maybe 10, 12 years ago for page two, just making a lot of jokes about the fans <laughs> that go to Tampa games. It's not a young crowd, Johnny. No, no, I um, wouldn't think so. And now we're getting up there in age two, so it's right. it's harder for us to make those jokes because I went from you know, 15 years ago thinking how hilarious it was that all these people were so old and it's like, Oh, people park their walkers in left field and you make all those jokes. <laughs> I remember. And, yeah. And how now I go to these games thinking like, yeah, 20 years from now, Johnny and I can get season tickets. Absolutely. <laughs> we're we're, we're in living in Florida together. We have, we have our blue plate special podcast, but right. uh, it's really surreal. My big takeaway is I'm not sure Tampa should have a team. It was like no. 60% Red Sox fans there. and Yeah, that's the thing. Every opposing team. It's a big, and the Yankees have had spring training there for a number of years now, so there's an enormous amount of Yankee fans. So anytime you watch a game, it's like a Yankee home game, basically. Yeah, it's it's <clears throat> it's definitely a unique vibe. Nice. I, I It's hard to... Lovely. It's hard to imagine we're in the major leagues with that team, but... Um, yeah. But we are. We the other fun thing is batting practice because barely anyone's going, so you could just go in left field and you know my son brought his glove the second day and just watching people hit bombs, hoping he got two balls. It was, nice. it was, yeah, it was a good time. Um, let's talk about John McCain. Okay. <laughs> Why did you laugh nervously? No, I don't know. I, I just I did. I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going further with that. I I didn't know that was just it. Like. <laughs> John McCain, go. Like just that, I was like, oh, I, I was expecting. <laughs> it was just a funny, funny intro. That's all. It's not rare, funny that John McCain died, but no. Nah, I mean, you're you're getting real delight out of it. I don't. This is awkward. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, oh my no. God, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, no, you had a not rare. You had a rare sentimental t- tweet about him over the I weekend. Did. And Usually, because in he, life he literally drove me crazy because yeah. he, you know, he did things that I despised, and he, you know, he was semi-detrimental to the prospects of, of conservatism that, that I love. But, um, you know, when you think about, like, what he and, and other, you know, POWs in the Vietnamese War went through, like, if you've ever, I read this book when I was a kid called When Hell Was in Session by Jeremiah Denton, who was a pilot who was shot down, and he was over in the Hanoi Hilton, and, and he, he later became a senator from, a Republican senator from Louisiana for a minute, and, um, you know, the stuff that they went through, like br- just brutal torture and, you know, isolation and not being able to speak to any, you know, any other American for literally years. Like there's guys that went years in solitary confinement and couldn't talk to another American. And the only people they talked to were mistreating them. And, you know, they would do this thing where they tied ropes around your arms so your shoulders, they'd pull you up by your elbows and it would dislocate both shoulders. I mean, just excruciating pain. And McCain endured all that because his father was an admiral and they wanted to have the PR value of letting him go early. They said, well, you know, we just found out your father's a a bigwig and we're going to let you go early to show how gracious we are. And he said, no, I'm not leaving early. I'm going to, you know, we're going to go out in the order that we came in. So guys that have been here years longer than me, three years longer than me, they get to go first. And then they beat the hell out of him some more, knocked his teeth out, broke his ribs, uh, et cetera. Just, just brutal torture. So to think about, like, 
living through that and experiencing it and the incredible will and courage it takes to, to withstand that is, is nothing short of inspiring because you can't help but put yourself in, in his shoes. And he was 30, so, but, you know, I think back to, like, guys I knew in college and, or guys I knew from high school or any guys I hang out with, you know, people that I love. And, like, who has the strength to endure that, you know? And if given the chance, like, nobody's going to blame him if they say, well, they let, you know, they chose to let you out, you get to go. And he, he said no to that. I mean, that's just incredible courage and, and, and just determination. Amazing. Why did he frustrate you? Well, because he... He went 2000 when he he was fairly reliable conservative for a while, and then he, I think he let, he got a little too inside Washington, and he liked this maverick label, and he was like the press's favorite Republican because he was half a Democrat. He got enamored of things like campaign finance reform because he was involved in this thing, the Keating Five, where it was you know semi shady with campaign donations and semi shady. You know, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna go with outright shady. Yeah, it was shady. I don't. I don't think he was the shadiest person. No, there was the other three of them were really super shady, and he was like kind of less shady, but still shady. And he liked being the press's favorite Republican. He played footsie with like running as John Kerry's running mate, and you know, on days like when this goes way back when Jim Jeffords, who was an outright Democrat with a Republican label as the senator from Vermont, switched parties, and McCain was like, you know, oh, this is you know, this is our problem, and we're too far to the right and everything. And so he, over time, he got more liberal, and he he liked being the press's favorite Republican. Didn't help him when he ran for office because then they still castigated him, and the Obama administration made fun of the fact that he couldn't type emails, which is because he was tortured in Vietnam. Um, Did that happen? But, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he couldn't type, and they made it a big issue as to, well, how can we have a president in this, the 20th century that can't, you know, 21st century that can't type emails? And it was because he can't ra- couldn't raise his arms above his head or couldn't use his shoulders properly to type or, or to text. Well, now, so, we ha- now we have a president who's illiterate, so that's, that's exactly. even worse. So here, there you go. See, that's what happens. Exactly. So... And really, like you know, when you when you compare, and and you know, it's it's if any of us make a comparison with John McCain and like what he what he endured and what he went through willingly for the country, we all come up lacking. But when you look at the current occupant of the White House, and I understand McCain didn't love him and he didn't love McCain, but the, but McCain's dead, and now today, like the flags are at full staff. Like he didn't even he sent out a tweet of condolences to the family, but like nothing about McCain. And it's because like McCain fucked him over on that vote. Yeah, so he's and being like of, a spiteful asshole as usual. And the, and the notion of Trump spending more than like three minutes in a Vietnamese prison camp, like the first moment he could have ratted at anybody, he would have turned. And he, he's like the fakest, he and his crew are like the fakest tough guys, you know, with all this New York swagger and like talking like they're mobbed up. And he, he doesn't have any real like courage of, of any kind. You know, so, that, so to be a fake tough guy, I'm sure he looks at a real tough guy like McCain and thinks about like how, what he could have endured in a North Vietnamese prison camp, which wouldn't have lasted very long. The McCain-Sarah Palin combo remains the weirdest partnership, I think, in the history of mankind. Yeah. I, maybe there was one weirder partnership. I just can't remember it. No, it was weird in the moment. Now it's now 10 years later, it's super duper weird. I know. Looking back, and and he never said a bad word about her. Like you know, he could have gone behind her afterwards and been like, "Boy, that was a disaster, and I screwed that up." But he never did. He never sold her down the river, and she never, you know, really turned on him. Although she she's fully embraced Trumpism and become what we thought she was. But yeah, Is in, that in retrospect, that was an odd thing. Yeah, he's she's. I mean, I, I think she's been pretty solid. As you know, he gave me this wonderful opportunity, and he was a wonderful man personally and whatever. So. 
Hmm. Yeah, it's... And, I don't, and he never said it was a mistake. I mean, and actually at the time he picked her because she she was a novelty at the time. It, it gave him a little a little bounce in the polls right off the bat. Didn't last long, but I mean, it did help him initially. And it helped to solidify him with conservatives that he was who were doubtful about him. So who replaces him as the quote-unquote maverick in the Republican Party? Well... There are no, there are none anymore. I mean, I guess now a maverick is a guy like Ben Sass from Nebraska, who who I actually love, because he does not toe the the MAGA party line in, in any way, shape, or form. So he, but I mean, the scary thing is if you if you look at the, the, what makes me absolutely despondent anytime I take a look at it is, you know, Trump's ratings among the Republican Party is like ninety percent. He gets a higher rating than like Ronald Reagan or Eisenhower or Ronald Reagan, like beloved figures of the Republican Party. And I'm like, is this really what it's become? It's just like, like I, I mean, I've said this ad infinitum on your podcast, but like, it's Donald fucking Trump. He's a moron. Like how anybody could look at him and, and think like, oh, this guy's this wonderful leader to be revered. And he's so fucking stupid. I mean, just aside, politics aside, like he's just a moron. <laughs> at, at, at base level, he's a he's an uncouth, crass moron, and you have decided to like hitch your wagon to him and your fortunes to him, and, and adoringly, like they love him. I, I just don't get it. It's like, uh, I, honest to God, I feel like you know it's like a Twilight Zone episode. I just don't understand it. And I guess you know maybe I was the, maybe I was the delusional one because I thought the people in the party had more brains than that, but they all lockstep for him the other day he comes out last week and says something about like you shouldn't be allowed to flip anymore like you know like he's a mob boss like snitches get stitches and they go to ask republicans for comment and they like run down the hall and avoid reporters and get out of the way like a basic thing would be like we're like in favor of law and order and then like snitching on criminal activity is encouraged and they couldn't even give the straight answer of that because they're they're scared to death of him because he has the minions that that you know support his agenda such as it is and and vote for him it's downright frightening and well, depressing it does seem like people are genuinely afraid of his fan base now they are and i guess you know i mean he's you know if he if he endorses somebody in primary they win I, these people i i mean i for life of me i don't get it these people in the heartland or in the south that you know he he they claim that he speaks for them and he's the first one to really you know recognize our plight and it's like it's Donald Trump. He cares about Donald Trump. He couldn't give a good goddamn about anything else but uh, but his own self-aggrandizement. It's it's outrageous. But they believe like he's our champion, and whatever he does, I mean, you know, there's people that were enraged and inflamed about Bill Clinton's behavior in the White House, rightly so, and and this guy's doing things with porn stars and and Playboy models and paying them off, and they're like, well, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> what? He has really invented this new strategy of debunking any possible thing that could come out about him by just saying the news is wrong. Like even if that tape came out, he would just say the tape got doctored. Right. Like, that and wasn't me. Somebody, the, the fake news media, they, they doctored that tape. That's not me. Right. And if there Absolutely. was, if there was a video of him coming out of Nicole Brown Simpson's house, covered in blood the night of the murders, Right. He'd be like, that's not me. They, they doctored that. It's, it's, fake I mean, news. the truest thing he ever said was that when he said I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and they would still support me. And he's absolutely right. Did he, he say could that? Shoot somebody's family on in Fifth Avenue and the person would still support them. Well, he's going to be in trouble when, uh, when the midterms come because it does seem like, uh, there's some mobilization from the other side. And if they can, there is, yeah. And I'm thinking, I think people are definitely ginned up to vote against them. And you could see it, you know, Democratic House. I'm, I'm less, I don't think there's going to be a Democrat 
I think the Republicans are going to still control the Senate. I, I'm not so sure about the House, but I think they'll still control the Senate. And he'll just whip that up into some victimhood thing and, and you know, get everybody. I mean, he, he's basically, he's sort of inoculated at this point because it's like the Tyson zone. <laughs> like, you could say anything about him and people are are going to believe it, but, like, his his loyal minions, they just don't care. Yeah. I mean, when everybody's like, oh, this tape is going to come out and this will be the thing that destroys him, like, try to think, like, what would come out about him? Like, what more can we learn about his character or lack thereof? What more could come out that, like, his minions would would abandon him? I think he's completely indestructible. I don't think one thing could come out. I, I had a tweet the other day because he sent out a tweet about, you know, he, he came back in June and said there's no more threat from North Korea. And now he's not meeting with North Korea because guess what? They're still testing nukes. And he, But he says in this tweet, he sends out and he's like, you know, my highest respect and honor to, to Chairman Kim Jong-un. That's the head of a communist police state with blood on his hands. <laughs> right. It's like a gulag state. And he's sending him. He can't lower the flags for John McCain who politics aside was an American hero, but he's sending all his honor and respect to Kim Jong-un. I mean, and the Republicans who were the anti-communist party for 50 years, oh, well, it's just negotiations. He's a wonderful negotiator. Oh, oh, okay, we're just embracing that now too. Fantastic. Are there any principles we stand for on anything? Or because he says that it's all good. It's just, ugh. Thank God I have this new Luke Voigt tattoo on my arm to look at and distract me in these times of troubling times. <laughs> just wait, just wait till the Yankees are in the playoffs and Trump's at the games. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I thought the thing I was the most shocked for was when he launched his app next week, last week, and charged nine ninety nine a month for it. <laughs> oh wait, that was Mike Francesa. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Wow, the fucking Head Pope. Marks. What a what a dick drop from the Pope. Just fucking dropping dick on that one. It's like, look at the size of my dick. Unbelievable. Absolutely. And Unbelievable. he took over the New York Stock Exchange to do it. The funny thing is, like, he touted this morning, because I follow him on Twitter, of course, and he's like, I'll have my over-unders on the NFL live in my app at 9 o'clock. And then I was scrolling through Twitter, and at 10 o'clock, he then put the same over-unders on Twitter. I'm like, I'm not sure 10 bucks a month was really worth it to get it 45 minutes sooner, you know, to the extent I was waiting with bated breath for his over-under picks, which, frankly, I wasn't. But maybe there are people that are and like, ooh, thank God I spent that 120 bucks a year so I could get that 45 minutes early. 120 bucks a year is basically Netflix and like high-level porn. Those are, those <laughs> well, are the two things. Actually, yeah. It's ten bucks a month, but I think he has a deal. If you sign up for a year, it's only like ninety six or something. I think he saves you some money. Yeah, he saves I, twenty bucks for the I year. I think Brazzers dot com has the same deal. <laughs> and you can watch him. You can watch the video feed of his radio show. And I guess you get his NFL Sunday game, his NFL show on Sundays. But you really got to be into it to make that financial commitment. It's really pricey. When you could listen to it for free. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny why like the subscription model is starting to become a thing and because it's worked in certain situations. But people keep leaving out the part that it's worked when it's something when it's something like uh Netflix or when it's like the New Yorker.com and you get all of their awesome writing plus their entire archives. Or you get the New York Times and you get their entire newspaper plus New York Times magazine. Or you get Washington Post. Um it's a little harder to make the subscription work when that when you don't have the scale of the content. And right. You, you know, when you're asking somebody to shell out money for every month for something, it it's you really gotta deliver gotta the value on special. it. So yeah. um 
Like hey, I, Vinny. Hey, Vinny, Francisco likes the Giants to win more than seven games. How do you know that? I, I got the app. <laughs> oh, oh. Like. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm rooting for it. I just think he charged too yeah, much absolutely. money for it. And I'm, he's got enough. He's a big enough name in New York. It has enough fans. I mean, they have conventions that he sells out. So he's going to get enough people that this will be a viable thing for a while. I just, you know. My God hope is I, I wish I could I wish I could charge money for an app to hear, let people hear my wisdom too. So my hope is he uh, he gives us updates on how many people have signed up for the app at least once a week. Hopefully. We're, we're up to 4200 people in the app. <laughs> hope for 5k by November. I wish people would pay for my app where I could go on a 10 minute rant about how Luke Voigt sucks and then they could tune in next week and I could say scratch that Luke Voigt is the second coming of Luke Gehrig. So well, yeah, you're giving <laughs> that's, away that's content worth paying for right there, folks. You're giving away those rants for free on Twitter. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was actually worried, worried. Sometimes I worry for you on Twitter that you're going to snap <laughs> that you've had like, you know, two glasses of Pinot Noir and Greg Bird right, struck right. out for the fifth time. <laughs> right. And you're going to snap like you did in college where we would all be scared. Right. No, I, I'm, I, I know. I am a little worried about that. Like sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, what did I say about Greg Bird last night? Like, was it really bad? Or, you know, I always stop short of like an actual call for violence. Like I, I tweeted something about, about, I know my two, the two people I go after the most are Greg Bird and Sonny Gray. Yeah. Some, somebody sent me a response on Twitter and it was like, there was a Yankees pitcher, Corey Lytle, and he, he was a pilot, and he crashed his plane into the to the like you know some building in New York City and died. Unfortunately, somebody's like, "Do you think it's time to get Sonny Craig Corey Lytle flying lessons?" And oh I was like, no! The freaking internet! Like, don't say things like that. we're not wishing death on Sonny. <laughs> That's Craig. horrible. We think he stinks. I'd like him to pitch for another team, but like, I'm like, my God, how far have I gone? Where these are the responses I'm eliciting? You know, like. No, no, no. We don't want anybody to die or be injured. We just want them to go play for another baseball team, not the Yankees. That's all. Or improve, or improve at their craft. Or get better, right? Like Luke Voigt. He's back in my good graces. Nothing makes me happier than when you have a starting pitcher that you can't stand, or <laughs> or a reliever that you can't stand. Who is that guy? Yes. Who was the guy last year? The reliever you couldn't stand. Oh, Tyler Clippard. Yeah, I love Tyler Clippard. Yeah, he was. He was. He who was, was the other one? Who was the all timer? Tanyan Sturtz? It's, there's somebody from last decade. <laughs> I really have strong feelings about Tanyan no, Sturtz. No. Somebody from last decade that drove you absolutely bonkers. You couldn't handle it. Mm. Oh, there was a lot of guys on that 2004 Yankee team pre podcast that would, yeah, have, yeah. would have heard from you. Kevin Brown. Oh, God. Yeah. Kevin Brown. Absolutely. Randy Johnson. I didn't love his tenure as a Yankee. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of guys. Greg Bird is a disappointment because Francesa, he of the aforementioned app, he he has been hyping Greg Bird for years, and he's been saying like the Yankees were like the of all these guys that are now blossoming, the Yankees were the highest on Greg Bird. Like Greg, yeah. Aaron Judge was like an afterthought. They liked Sanchez, but they were like, oh, Chris, Greg Bird, like he's the tops, like he's going to be the second, like the next big Jeter, the next next guy. Suffice it to say, he's not lived up to that billing. Hmm. And well, Sonny Gray, Sonny Gray has one good start against the Orioles the other day, and then he gives a post game press conference saying, "Well, I'm capable of this because I'm one of the best pitchers in the league." What? I'll have what Sonny Gray's having if he thinks he's one of the best pitchers in the league. Like based on what metric is Sonny Gray the best pitcher in, in New York, let alone in the league? He's got good oh stuff, Johnny. His stuff's it, really too good. good. <laughs> too good. Well, 
I uh, this is the last week before baseball really heats up and the casual fans yeah. start pouring in, and um, I've really enjoyed this baseball season. But I also I have sure one of the have. best one of the best baseball teams that the Red Sox have had. But I really do enjoy just the night in, night out, seeing Betts and Martinez and Benintendi. I enjoy. Uh, I genuinely enjoy all three of those guys, and I'm glad they're in my life. The, I hope they're setting you up for an epic collapse because it's been a while since we've had one of those. So let's hope for another one. Uh, before we go, you got you, you didn't mention Chris Sale at all, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to thank you. Because I don't believe he's really hurt. I think the Red Sox are being smart and that he this is like resting him because he, you know, last year he fell apart towards the end of the year in the playoffs, and this year they're, I'm doing air quotes about injuries, that he has mm. injuries, that he has to rest his arm. It's a very smart maneuver by them. Yeah. I so I wouldn't be too worried about him. I hope you're right. Uh, Johnny, always a pleasure. Say hi to Enjoy. everybody in Connecticut for us. Talk to you soon. Will do. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, thanks so much to Mark Titus. Thanks to my buddy, Jacko. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to check them out. ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to FanDuel. If you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel, clearly the place to play. FanDuel is something for everyone. More ways to win than ever before. This season, free $250,000 Survivor Contest. The biggest free Survivor Contest ever. Pick one team to win each week. If you can't reuse that team again for the rest of the season, you got to keep going to the next one. Locks before week one. Don't miss your chance. Sign up right now. FanDuel.com slash BS. You get a new $20 bonus if you're a new user when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Come play with me. FanDuel.com slash BS. The next time you hear from me, the cousin and I are doing AFC and NFC over-unders. AFC is going to be on this pod. NFC is going to be on Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. It's a special two-part episode. You won't want to miss it. See you then.